Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, church, here we are. Let me uh, spotlight myself real quick. All right. You know what? Let's just pray. Because, uh, I, I, like I said, I, I sense it and I know that it's just been... Um, this well, you know, obviously, this whole last year has been hectic and um, wild and crazy, and you know, um, and as time goes on, I, I truly believe, obviously, as the Word of God says, <clears throat> you know, we're moving on that trajectory towards the Lord's return, and um, I just know that um, you know things are are hitting home a lot closer for a lot of us, uh, and uh, this week has been no exception. So let's just go ahead and go before the Lord. We need his guiding hand in, in, in everything. So let's just uh, go before him. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again just for this time to <clears throat> be able to seek your face as, as a, a part of your body to come together. Even even though it's through this uh, the use of, of, of this application, the, this technology of Zoom, we're, we're still able to connect with one another. So we praise you for that. Most importantly, we thank you for your mercy and your grace, which we so desperately need every day. We thank you for the revelation of your son, Jesus Christ. We, uh, just like that song, uh, prone to wander, but it, but at least now we, we know and we understand uh, the gravity of, of, of who Jesus Christ is and the gravity of our own sin and how that sin that we were just born into separated us from you eternally and it was only by the the shedding of the blood of the the spotless lamb that we could be reconnected to you and so uh, father i just praise you for that lord i pray that um that we would never trample on the blood of christ as if it was common lord but we would understand the the reality of uh, the eternal state that that not only us but all of your creation is in uh, apart from you and that um we need to accept that free gift of salvation so we can have peace so we can have joy so we can see beyond the grave lord we could see the eternity that awaits us for our eternal lives will last far longer than these earthly ones so lord may you speak to us through your word may you quicken our spirits uh, to to hear what you have for us this morning and please bless us with the wisdom to apply uh, what you give to us today we thank you and love you it's in the wonderful name of jesus christ we pray amen all right. Well, we are continuing on in the book of Acts. Uh, we are this morning going to start Acts chapter 21. It's been quite a journey. And, um, you, you know, when you really start adding together uh, the things that you experience in your life, and you look through the lens of the Bible and you see the different accounts that are in the Word of God you see how real the word is and how there are so many ups and downs in this life, in your walk with the Lord. There are times where, as the word says, there are mountaintop experiences where, um, you know, there's kind of not really, it seems like there's almost not even a care in the world and everything is, is calm and things are serene and things are kind of peaceful, right? You have a season of that. And then you go right from that straight back into the valley where, it's it's difficult and it's trying and and it's strenuous and 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 you're wondering you know what's going on and and lord how do i get out of this but uh you know the wonderful thing about uh the analogy of being in the valley 
is that is that even though it's dark, in order for something to be dark, there has to be, uh, for, in, in order for there a shadow to be a present, that means that there has to be light. And we know that the light is the true living God. And, and so even in your darkest valley, I just want to encourage you that the Lord is with you. The Lord is sustaining you. Uh, the, the Bible says that uh, that Jesus Christ himself sustains the earth. He holds the earth together. Right now, is, as crazy as things are, and even, you know, you look at the things that happened this week at our nation's capital and, and, and some people who are very extreme in their beliefs uh, taking that stance to, to, to storm um, the capital building and, and all that what goes on even in, in all that. Uh, the Lord is the one that holds things together. And so, you know, when you hear talks of, you know, um, you know, different people, uh, you know, uh, planning, you know, weapons of mass destruction and these, these and these different things going to happen, right? It could send you into a panic mode. But we have to understand that the Lord sustains and he is sovereign. He allows things to happen and not happen. And he's the one who's in full control. Um, I truly believe not getting on a political tip, but I, I really believe this is from the Lord. Uh, just like you you look at King Saul. Did King Saul have to be in power? Did King David have to be in power? We have to understand that the Lord allows men to take positions of authority and he is the one that is ultimately in charge. So it really doesn't matter what president is sitting in the White House. It is the Lord God Almighty who is sovereign and who reigns supreme. He allows those people to come into office and to not come into office. But on that note, let's go ahead and get into our text. Uh, Again, Acts chapter 21, we'll be going through verses 1 through 14. And it reads, And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there Patra. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. Verse 7, when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus. And we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters whom who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name 
of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, thank you for this portion of scripture. May you help us to understand it, to rightfully divide it, see uh, where Jesus is in all of this and the application to our lives today. As we need to hear from you, we need a sound word. Make it crystal clear. Make it apparent to us what you're uh, sharing with us through your word. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Acts chapter 21 verses 1 through 14. I've entitled this message, Confirmations and the Will of God. This message today, will uh, we're going to continue to follow Paul on his journey to Jerusalem. We will see how Paul will continue to travel closer, closer. He's getting to Jerusalem. How he's going to come across more of these warnings, more of these prophetic warnings that are going to tell him about the trials that he's going to suffer when he goes to Jerusalem. But when you look at the text, it's interesting because the thing about these encounters Paul has is that he actually embraces these confirmations from the Lord. It's not something that he ran from. He actually ran to it. Um, In all of this, we will see that the most important aspect of this portion of scripture, what what is revealed to us, is we see Paul's life lived out in the will of God. That's what he wanted the most out of anything. He wanted to live his life in God's will. He didn't want to be apart from God's will doing his own thing. He wanted the Lord's truth to be able to be lived out in his life, and even if that meant suffering and pain. There are several main points that i like us to focus on this morning, and the first one is this. Confirmations will come when the Lord is trying to reveal something to us, meaning things that are going to affirm, yes, this is correct. Yes, this is what the Lord has for me. Or no, this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. No, this is not what the Lord wants me to do or where he wants me to go. As we will see again, there were multiple times when Paul was given this confirmation of trials that he was going to suffer by the hands of the Gentiles in Jerusalem. First in Tyre and then then again in Caesarea in our text this morning. It wasn't a coincidence, right? It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't just like, oh, well, these things might happen or they're going to happen because of X, Y, and Z. No, it was revealed to him that these things are going to take place in your life. This was the Lord. This is important, though. This was the Lord trying to prepare Paul for what was lying ahead. Because many times in Scripture we find that the people of God were looking for confirmations. Even if our faith is weak, the Lord and His graciousness and His mercy in dealing with, with us will reveal uh, confirmations to us. Uh, if you recall Gideon, remember Gideon and the fleeces, right? Um, he he had uh, he, you know he was he needed to be sure. He wanted to be uh, you know made it clear by the Lord what was going on going on that he was hearing from him. And so we know the story. He put out a wool mat, right? And overnight he asked God to make it wet while keeping the dirt around it dry. But once he got that confirmation, that wasn't enough for Gideon, right? He was like, Lord, I, I really need to know that I'm hearing from you. And so he asked the Lord for uh, another fleece, that this fleece would, be, would, would remain dry while the surrounding dirt was wet. Well, there's a couple things that we see in that. Uh, the thing to remember is that the Lord wants us to know that he, when he is working and moving, so he'll confirm his, his 
his plan for us through two or three witnesses. That's why we see that. We, we see that, that, that these things are important. But the downside of this that unfortunately happens with some people is that when we look for the signs, we're just looking for signs, but we're really not seeking the Lord, right? We're not seeking the Lord in, in, in the things that are going on. We're just seeking, oh, well, we want to know that we're hearing from God. But again, the Bible was would say that Gideon's faith was weak because he needed to see these signs. You think of uh, you think of Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas, everyone was rejoicing over Jesus's return, and um, you know he had eaten a meal with them, and he had walked through the door to to see the disciples, and and Thomas was like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't believe. I'm not going to believe until uh, until I see. And we know what Jesus's reply was: Blessed are those that have not seen yet believe. And if you think about it, if you think about it in context, when you think about your life. Obviously, Jesus is not walking around in human flesh with us now. So he's speaking to people in our position where we haven't seen the face of God in physical form, but yet we still believe. So blessed are you to trust and believe in Jesus Christ for your salvation, even though you haven't seen, you just have the revelation of his word, which is not a light thing at all. It's very real and heavy, but it speaks to that. So again, we need to understand that confirmations come for God to reveal something that's going to happen to us, but we don't need to go running around seeking the confirmations. That's almost like uh, you know someone that's steeped in in, in mysticism and, and wanting tarot cards to be read and wanting the horoscopes to be read. No, we seek the Lord, but uh, like Gideon, as, as times where my faith is weak, I need confirmations, but I'm not trying to seek the confirmation in and of itself. So that's our our first main point here, because we know that uh, Jesus says that he's not happy with the adulterous generation who seeks after signs. So we don't want to be seeking that. We want to seek the Lord. The second main point is this. The proper response to uh, the Lord, whether it be confirmation that he's showing you something or just the fact that you want to acknowledge him and honor him, our proper response and our posture, how that should be in prayer, and the fact that what 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 role prayer plays in our lives as believers, because we see in our text here that in entire after uh, the time uh, with the people that were there and the wives and the children, everyone was together, right? They had accompanied Paul going to send him off to the next ship that he was going to board, but when they got to where the ship was docked on the beach. Paul had them do something very unique in the sense of it wasn't uncommon for people to to walk with people to a destination, but it wasn't common for a group to get down and to pray. But the important thing is to notice the posture and the position of how these people were. This may seem like a very insignificant point, but it actually is really poignant and there's a lot of weight on this. The reality is if you, you have to ask yourself, how many times do we typically forget to pray? Uh, when you think of what prayer, what is prayer? Prayer is communication between a true and living God and his creation and that line that goes back and forth. So we may talk to the Lord and we also need to listen to the Lord to hear what he's telling us. But how many times do you and I actually forget 
to pray or how many times um like you know i'm trying to teach this with my son kalo so when he prays for his food he just says uh father god thank you for this food in jesus christ's name i pray amen and it's like this formulaic thing and i'm like well what are you thankful for are you are you thankful for that this food is going to nourish your body that uh you know are you are you blessing are you thankful for the hands that prepared it meaning your mom made this for you are you thankful for her right there's a lot that goes into it it's not just this quick you know um i'm thankful for my food you know, in Jesus Christ's name, amen. But we can get into that kind of robotic, automatic way of communicating with God where it's kind of, and I'm not talking bad on my son, I'm just saying, you know, we can get to that place where it could just be just this thing where there's really no thought put into it. And we, we need to understand that there needs to be thought that comes into what we do when we pray, when we get before the Lord, um, we have to know also, what were they doing? Were they standing up on the beach when they prayed? No, we got to take a look at their posture. They were on bended knee. They were kneeling when they prayed. And this is very important. The reality is this. There is no better position. There is no better posture to be when you go before a holy and living God than to kneel. I understand that we can't always always kneel throughout the day, right? You're not. I don't, I'm not going to tell you, you know, uh, try to kneel in your car while you're driving because obviously that's just foolish, and you're going to get into a car accident. Nor will I would I suggest that you pull off on the side of the highway, get out of your car, and kneel, being next to cars that are going 75, 85 miles per hour. I wouldn't say that. So I understand that we cannot kneel at every point in time when we need to pray throughout the day, and the Bible's clear to pray without ceasing. So God doesn't contradict Himself, and He's not saying that. But we have to understand when we have the opportunity and the ability to go before the Lord, be it corporately if it calls for that, or privately, meaning you alone with the Lord, we ought to take advantage and get down on our knees and pray. The reality of why is it important to take that position and that posture of being on one knee is because it's a very humbling thing for you and I to be in a submissive position before a true and holy God. Um, when you think about it, you think about it in the Old Testament when when Moses encountered the burning bush, what was said to him? What did the Lord of hosts say to him? Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. That That has that same tone to it as far as He's holy. He's righteous. Don't treat him common. Don't don't treat him like you're just having a little conversation with, you know, with the dude around the corner. No, this is you're speaking to the true and living God. And so uh, the act of Moses taking off his sandals because he was standing on holy ground is symbolic in the same vein as us getting on our knees or being prostrate, even being face down on the floor before the true and living God, because he deserves that honor he deserves that submission that submissive heart that submissive attitude and you could take it step a step further uh, you know again it's a heart condition right because we could posture ourselves down on our knees but if our heart's not bent before god bowing before him it really doesn't matter we're not we're not bending on a knee to perform some kind of act to perform some kind of show to to try to make ourselves seem spiritual or humble before people no it's when you truly are led to do it it's okay. You're not really going to trip off what anybody thinks. And you're not doing it to draw attention to yourself. You're doing it because you understand and you recognize 
that this is this is a position that I need to take before the true and living God. I need to humble myself. Um, it's the same idea with uh, the, the casting down of one's crown, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay, the third main point is this. We shouldn't want to suffer simply just to suffer, to experience pain, but we should want to live in the will of God. You see, the reason that Paul was willing to suffer was for the cause of Christ. It wasn't simply just to endure pain. That's just unhealthy and that's unclean and that's not scripturally correct. That's that's not what we we endure pain for. We don't suffer simply for the sake of suffering. If you think about it, you guys are all sensible people. Who wants to experience pain? Nobody does, right? None of us do. Um, if anything, we we flee from pain as much as we can. I mean, you know, it's built into our society where what what is Tylenol? What is ibuprofen about? It masks the pain, right? It's like on a sup- very superficial level. If I have a headache or something's bothering me, you know, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll go and grab some Advil or some whatever, a, a tablet, because I'm going to take that because I don't want to experience that pain. So we, we don't like pain. We don't want pain to be associated with our lives. But unfortunately, because we live in a fallen world, a, a world that's filled with sin because of our bent nature apart from God, from the onset, from the first Adam, pain is a part of that association with who we are. We will go through pain. That is just the, the life that we have to live. And anyone that was to tell you that you're not going to experience pain in this life is lying to you and is setting you up for an even worse fall when that pain, when that season of pain comes into your life. The best thing is to understand that unfortunately things difficulties are going to come, but that in all of its entirety should drive you and I closer to Christ, running to him more, seeking him, uh, looking to put on his yoke instead of us taking it upon our shoulders because we can't bear the burdens of this life. They're too heavy. They're too, they're too weighty for us. We need the Lord who's the only one who can truly uh, deal with the difficulties of this life for him to intervene in our situations. And, and this is where we see what's going on with Paul. The reason why he was willing to endure this suffering in Jerusalem is because he understood that it was part of the process for him to conclude the plan that the Lord had for his life. The trials that you and I go through, they don't make us righteous, but they are an indication of our loyalty to Christ, right? Our unwillingness to go through difficult times will prove that we are not willing to suffer with Christ. And the Bible's clear, we are to partake in the cup of suffering that he has because we as believers it's just a natural part of the process if you are a true christian you will go through difficulties in this life but the but the caveat the the light at the end of the tunnel so to speak with this is i'm sure you've heard this this saying before and i really believe it rings true i've seen it played out so many times in my own life uh, ever since i've truly been converted and been saved but it is you probably know that your worst day with the lord is better than your best day without him. Meaning you could have lived a totally different lifestyle and had all the money in the world and all the the things that the world has to offer. 
But your best day living like that doesn't pale in comparison to the most difficult time and day that you will have with the Lord living in you on the inside, with the Holy Spirit living in you, simply because you have a peace and you have a joy that cannot be matched even in the darkest of times because you have the Lord sustaining you as opposed to you living apart from him and all you have is these things and these activities and these monetary objects that that really can't provide for you what you what your soul needs. Okay, let's go ahead and begin to break down these verses and see what the Lord has in store for us. Okay, Acts chapter 21 verse 1. This is going to be quick. This is just kind of an overview of the geog- the, the geography and where they were were and where they were going. And it says, "And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patra. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail." So again, the backstory, this wasn't an easy parting for Paul. Remember, he had poured his life in, 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 in all of you know what the Lord had showed him up to this point into these people, into these leaders from the church of Ephesus. So he loved them deeply and he knew that he wasn't going to return, but but he had to leave. And so this was the course he was on when he left Ephesus. He uh, Paul had took a ship uh, at uh, Milutus and then uh, they sailed down the southern coast of Asia Minor to, to Patra. Um, there they would uh, eventually change ships and now they were heading to Tyre on the northern coast of Caesarea. This was actually uh, the coast of Israel and what it, what was ancient Phoenicia. Today it's where you would find uh, Lebanon. And so that's kind of a little, you know, brief like a synopsis of, of just the background of what was going on there. Okay, let's move on to verses 3 and 4. And it says, When we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo, and having sought out disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Okay, so they had recognized that this island of Cyprus... uh, when they were going towards uh, Tyre, but they didn't stop there. They wanted to continue to go to Tyre because this was a place where it was a great commercial center and it'd been there since ancient times. And obviously um, there was a, a large magnitude of people. And so Paul wanted to be able to reach people there. Um, we are not told uh, how this church was planted in Tyre, but there were disciples there because that's what the text says. This is just a simple reminder to us that in the book of Acts, this only gives us a portion or a snapshot of the early church's activities. It, it's what the Lord felt necessary for us to understand and to get, but it's not uh, the entirety. It's like when you think of a Jesus and all that Jesus did when he ministered 33 years on earth here at the end of the book of John, it says that this is only a snap. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but the, the text basically says this is only a snapshot of what Jesus did, right? Because if it really ent- entailed every single thing that Jesus did, the pages couldn't contain all the works and all the great miracles that Jesus performed. So we know that uh, there's so much more, right? The magnitude, the, the 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 gravity of his presence and the gravity of the Holy Spirit working through Paul is very great. So we see this going on here in the book of Acts. Um 
Next, we, we, we come across something that, that for some biblical scholars has been very challenging for a very long time. Um, some feel that verse 4 in this portion of scripture, that some feel that Paul actually made a great mistake when he went up to Jerusalem. Because this verse, it does show that these men spoke influenced by the Holy Spirit. But we know that God doesn't contradict himself. He's not a liar and he will not say one thing that means something different. He he shoots straight. He pulls no punches. He tells it like it is. What it is is this. The Holy Spirit is saying to Paul the same thing that he had already said before. That Paul, and this is this is this is the important thing to get from this is that Paul is not to go to Jerusalem unless he is prepared to make the required sacrifice. Unless Paul is ready to do what is called of him and, 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 and endure what is called of him, he is not to go to Jerusalem. But if you notice, Paul keeps saying that he is willing to make that sacrifice. He is willing to lay down his life for the Lord. So what I gather from this is it would seem that the specific warning not to go to Jerusalem was a human interpretation of the Holy Spirit's prophecy of the danger that awaited Paul. It was the human element where they're like, they don't want him to go. Because they're like, oh, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be trying. You're going to go through hard times. Don't go. But Paul knows he's called to go. So we come to this conclusion because otherwise it is difficult to see why Paul would have gone against the Holy Spirit's direction unless he was in direct rebellion, which I don't see at all in Paul's life. The application for us today in regards to this is simply, this is why it is very vital that you and I pursue a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with the Lord, right? Because sometimes, unfortunately, God's truth can be accompanied by man's opinion. And that's when you run into problems, right? One reason um, is that people don't want you to go through pain. But again, that's why we pray for the Lord's will to be done. Obviously, we don't want anyone to suffer. We don't want anyone to go through hardships and difficulties. But we need the Lord's will to be done, right? Uh, There's times where we try to hold someone back from something, but that's the very worst thing we could possibly do. And so we don't, I don't have uh, the wisdom in me to tell someone what is to be done. I need to seek the Lord and say, Lord, may your will be done in all things. We lay requests at the Lord's feet as we should. Now, he has to determine in his perfect will what is the best for every individual and every group of people in every circumstance, right? And and that's difficult for us to, to, to understand at times because, again, that innate sense of wanting to be safe, wanting to be uh, healthy, wanting to be whole, not wanting to hurt and have to go through pain and, and trials. But again, unfortunately, because we live in a world that has fallen, this side of heaven We are all going to experience difficult times in this life. One reason that shows Paul was willing to go, uh, was in the will of God, excuse me, going to Jerusalem was because he personally was carrying the offering from these Gentile churches to Jerusalem. Now you have to remember, right, before Paul was Paul, he was who? He was Saul. And what was he doing as Saul? He was persecuting and basically saying, I oblige to Christians being murdered. He was holding the coats of the men who stoned the first martyr, Stephen. So, you know, there was a great sense of 
I, I may even say grief, maybe even guilt on Paul's part in the sense of he remembered, like basically not guilt, but you know, it's like the saying, don't forget where you come from, right? If you forget where you come from, then you're not going to be humble when you are elevated to some form of influence or whatever. You look at that in a spiritual context in all of our lives, right? We're never to wallow in where we came from, but you and I should never forget who we were apart from Christ. That will humble us in those moments where we could stand to maybe be elevated because somebody's given us pats on the backs and saying, oh, you did a good job, you're doing this and that. But we always need to remain humble and remember, man, I remember where I came from. I need the Lord. Today, all of us should need the Lord the most we've ever needed the Lord in our lives. Not necessarily because we're going through difficult situations in our lives, but because we're moving closer and closer to you know the future or we're in that instance and everything, the need should be greater, right? Because it's a progressive relationship. So, well, going back to this whole thought of not forgetting who you were, I believe Paul did not forget who he was apart from Christ, and he remembered the wickedness that he was a part of, and so he didn't want to send representatives to bring this money to those that were hurting in Jerusalem. He personally wanted to be there to be like, look, uh, I, I am, uh, I am overseeing this and I have a personal, uh, you know, response because I know that I played a part in some of your suffering. And so that is showing to me that, that this is another reason why the Lord, uh, why Paul was in the Lord's will for all this. Also, if you think back to the Damascus road, after Paul was blinded, after he fell from the horse and he heard the, the loud voice, of the Lord saying, Paul, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Remember Ananias. Ananias told him that greater things he must suffer for the name of the Lord. You could read that in Acts chapter 9 verses 15 and 16. So again, God does not contradict himself. It was just that these people that were used to speak uh, truth through the Holy Spirit they also had a, a a part of their emotion where they didn't want Paul to suffer. And so they said, oh, well, you know, you're going to go through all these hard times. Yes, that was true. But they also said, we don't want you to go. But, you know, if Paul listened to them, who knows what would have happened? Who knows what would have not transpired had he stayed back and said, you know what? I'm going to kick it in entire. I'm going to kick it with y'all. It's all good. <laughs> I'm not going to go through the difficulty because I just want to stay cool. Right? He knew I can't do that. I got to push forward no matter how difficult, no matter how intense it gets. I Even if I lose my life, I have to stay faithful to the Lord. And, and, and may the Lord uh, be the truth teller and every other person be a liar. Amen. Because that's at the end of the day, you and I need to make sure that we are in line with the Lord, even if it's at the inconvenience or the disapproval of other people. And, you know, eventually if they are mature in their faith, they'll come to understand that and they'll be like, okay, it's all good. I understand. All right, let's move on. Verses five and six. And it says, when our days there were were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all with wives and children accompanied us until we were outside the city and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. So we just kind of talked about this. Despite the heartfelt pleas of the Christians in Tyre, Paul and his group did not turn away from going to Jerusalem. They were, they were going. They were going for it. He was persuaded it was God's will. So they continued. 
and we talked about this in the introduction, that the practice of walking with uh, someone who was leaving to the outskirts of the city, this was traditional in those times. This is what they, I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know. It might have kind of been like a parade, you know, it's like they just had this band of people and, you know, everyone was was there and and, and they were really, you know, think of, you think of, uh, you know, families that are tight like that where there's a send off. Maybe somebody's leaving to fly, you know, fly somewhere across the country or whatever. And then, you know, your family comes together and you guys send off that individual, you know, to leave. You don't just let them go on their own. This is kind of the idea here, right? This was a traditional thing back then. Yet the practice of kneeling on the shore together in prayer was uniquely Christian. This was not something that the other religions did. They would not bend on their knees and they would not pray to the Lord God Almighty and they wouldn't do it in public like that. This was something that was not common back then. Um, Here is a lovely thing that we see Paul doing. He and the people with him, they knelt down on the shore and they prayed. And again, like I said, we touched uh, we touched on this earlier uh, in the beginning of this message. But the best position to be in while praying is kneeling. Um, it, it is to be humble, to be in a humble, submissive position before the Lord. Some may even choose to be prostrate before the Lord. Right? I mean, I've I've had personal times where yeah, I've been flat on my face before the true and living God, and and it's a very um, you know, I can't explain it, but it, it's something about getting as low as you can and understanding that this, this, this is, this is, this is how I need to be. Uh, it's almost like, you know, when people are, okay, you, you, you think about it and I know it's a heart condition. So you think of the text where, um, you know, Jesus talked about, um, the tax collector and the Pharisees, right? They both went into the temple and the tax collector got his hands up proud saying, I'm so grateful I'm not like any of these people. I ain't like this tax collector. I ain't like this harlot. I ain't like any of these people here, right? The tax collector, what was his countenance? He couldn't even lift his face towards heaven because of the shame, because of understanding who he was apart from Christ, understanding his sin, right? The weight of his wretchedness before a true and living God. And that's the whole idea here, right? Because when you recognize your position before a true and living God, It's not going to be a difficult thing for you to bend your knee. It's not going to be difficult for you to get prostrate before the Lord. You're going to be like, no, like you're real. I can't be like, I mean, and that's the thing, you know, I I don't know. Sometimes I think we have this idea that, you know, when we get to heaven, we're just going to be, you know, I know that he's our father and I know Jesus is our big brother, obviously our savior and all that. And I, and I know that that relationship's there, but what I'm saying is we, sometimes we get this idea that we're just going to be chumming it up like with God, like that we're. Um, you know, you look at the book of Revelation and the 24 elders before the throne, you know, and, and, and they're praising the Lord and they get on their knees and they're, they're casting down their crowns. And that's, a, that's another thing, the whole casting down of a crown, right? Sometimes we have this idea like, well, I'm going to get a crown when I go to heaven. I'm going to be rocking my crown. I'm going to, you know what I mean? This and that. It's like the only one worthy of a crown is the Lord. The only one worthy of a crown is Jesus Christ. You get the crown because, you know, you've been faithful. He's allowed you to be faithful to the end. But the casting down of the crown is signifying, I'm not worthy of this crown. I'm not worthy to wear this crown. You, Jesus, are the only one worthy to have this. And so I'll gladly give you my crown. And that's why, you know, I make that joke, that running joke. You know, I'm a booger in the body of Christ. I don't care. I'm a left toe in the body of Christ. I just want to be a part of the body, right? I'm not not concerned about, 
uh, all the the added things because glory only belongs to God, right? The Bible is clear that the Lord God Almighty will share his glory with no one. And we have to have the proper perspective. When we have the right perspective, again, drawing it back, excuse me, tying it back down to the position that we should be when we pray, it's not a problem to get on your knees before a true and living God because you know how holy and righteous he is that, I mean, he deserves that because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in a higher position or I'm not in an equal position to the Lord. I'm, I'm in a, in a, in a servant position to him, accepted into, into his family, grafted in because of the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So I will gladly bend my knee. The reality is the Bible is clear. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that, 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 uh, you know, that the Lord is who he is. Wouldn't you rather bend your knee and confess with your tongue now when you have the free will choice to do so rather than end up in eternity and be forced by the righteous judgment of God to bend your knee and confess with your tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord and not only have to do that but now you don't even get the you don't even get the perks of being with him for eternity you're cast into a lake of fire with eternal torment i mean it you know <laughs> you know you're sensible people you know which is the right choice to make the best choice to make for you and so we see that so again the positioning of how we are when we are in a position to should be a posture of bended knee or being prostrate before the lord as we see in the text right here okay let's move on to verse 7 and it says when we had finished the voyage from tyre we arrived at ptolemas and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. So it must have been a wonderful thing for Paul and his companions to find Christians in virtually every city that they stepped into. This shows that the expansion of the Christian faith was deepening and the movement was going all across the Roman Empire. Christians were everywhere, it seems. So this, was, this had to be an encouraging thing for Paul and his companions. Okay, let's move on to verses 8 and 9. And it says, On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So Philip here, the Evangelist, was one of the seven we know in Acts chapter 8, verse 40, it tells us that after Philip's work in bringing the Ethiopian eunuch to faith, remember that part, that he preached through the coastal region and ended up in Caesarea. Many years later, he was still here. This is a great example of, we talked about this last week, with Paul. For his mission, for the, the, the journey that the Lord had him, he moved around a lot. And then you have other people like Paul, where, uh, excuse me, Philip, where Philip came to Caesarea and he stayed there for many years, right? And we talked about this last week, you know, um, I, I, I still, I, I actually talked to, uh, to Pastor Nick uh, yesterday evening, you know, and I, and I still am in frequent contact with him. We've experienced that on a real level where sometimes people are uprooted, right? Not because of any besetting sin or anything like that, but that's what the Lord has for them. And they move on to a new work. And there's other people that will stay in a certain part of the body of Christ for their whole lifetime. It just depends on what the Lord wants to do. But we see that this is a biblical thing. And we see this here with Philip. It was a wonderful title that Philip had, Philip the Evangelist. He was known to bring the good news, to present this good news to other people, the good news about who Jesus Christ was and what Jesus Christ could do for them in their fallen state. It's interesting 
when you see that there's a mention of he has four daughters. These four daughters were... <clears throat> they they possessed the gift of prophecy. But none of them seemed to tell Paul anything about his upcoming time in Jerusalem. But there was other people that told him all kind of stuff. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. You're going to go through trials. You're going to fall into the hands of the Gentiles. Don't go. Don't go. But yet we see four women here that were full of the Holy Spirit as well. That had the gift of prophecy and didn't say anything about that at all. The Holy Spirit could have used them, but he chose to use someone else. It's interesting as well because according to ancient records, when you kind of dig a little deeper and find out what's going on with these women, these daughters, or at least some of them, lived a great age. So they lived a very long life and they were highly esteemed as informants on persons and events belonging to the early years of Judean Christianity. So obviously they got the influence from their father, Philip, and they followed in his footsteps and served the Lord in a great capacity. So that's the mention of these women here in the text. Now let's go on to uh, the the last um, the last few verses, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning um, in in verses uh, ten through fourteen. And it says, "While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, and said, "Thus says the Holy Spirit: This is how." The Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. When he heard this, we, excuse me, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but to live, even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded. We ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So if you're familiar with the Old Testament, in the spirit of the Old Testament times, they would act out a message. And this is the message that Agabus acted out with Paul. He acted out this message and telling him this certain danger that he was awaiting. That's why the whole tying of the wrists and the, and, and the ankles and all that. The prophecy of Agabus, again, it was true, and it was genuinely from the Holy Spirit. But to this true word, there was a human element of application added. They pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. We see this again, yet again. This is an additional word that was not from the Lord. Otherwise, Paul would have been disobedient to go to Jerusalem. Remember, a minute ago, we just talked about this. Um, Paul's traveling companions, they tried to discourage him when he was in Tyree. They did not want him to go to Jerusalem. Paul had received several prophetic words on this very topic. This is God's custom with such a remarkable prophecy that there should be a great deal of confirmation as there was in Macedonia. You can read that in Acts chapter 20, verses 22 and 23. And in Tyree, we just read that, verse 4 earlier on. And, uh, and now we're seeing it again in Caesarea. We need to remember that the prophecy was from God, but the delivery, unfortunately, had a human element to it. The application is this. We must allow God's revealed will for us to speak for itself. We see this many times in our own lives, right? An example. Sometimes we subconsciously hold people back from living out their calling, um, the Lord's calling on their lives. Sometimes we can tell people, 
all about the word of God, right? And 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 this is what you should be doing. And then maybe you know the Lord feels led to uh, uh, put them in a position of, um, you know, uh, servant leadership or something like that. But we were like, we don't think they're ready, <laughs> and we try to talk them out of it, right? And that happens all the time. Or maybe there's situations where. You know, someone comes to us and, and they say, oh, you know, the Lord, I feel the Lord, I sense the Lord is calling me to do X, Y, and Z. And because we're uncomfortable with it or because we see the dangers or, or the, you know, the, the things that are not certain in it, we try to deter them from taking that route. That's not good. You know, we need to allow people to go where the Lord is calling them to go, to do what the Lord is calling them to do. It's not our job to hold people back thinking that we're protecting them, right? Um, I think it's probably the most difficult thing. You know, I haven't experienced it yet because my children are very small. But when you have children that are grown and they're telling you this is what they feel led to do and and, and you as a parent having to give them a bit of leeway and allow them to experience things to live out. And and if it is a mistake, they got to experience that mistake so they can learn from it, right? I, I, I always hear the worst thing is to have a parent that's constantly going behind their kid and kind of, you know, correcting them in the sense of not letting them do anything, but but keeping them in a bubble, keeping them in this safe, and I get it, right? We want to keep our loved ones safe. We want to see them benefit. We want to see the best for them. But there has to be a level of uh, of independence that's given to 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 people so they can see for themselves and live out what the Lord is calling them to do and and in our text in the in the context of what we see here you know these people kept telling Paul of all the dangers but they were not willing to let him go they were trying to to to, to persuade him not to it reminds me of you know what what did Peter say to Satan uh, excuse me what is what did Peter say to Jesus no, it will never be so. I'm not going to allow that to happen to you. And what did you, what was Jesus's response to Peter? Satan, get behind me. Not that Peter was Satan, but in that moment, right? Him trying to keep Jesus from going to the cross, he was not in line with what the will of God was. The will of God was, no, unfortunately, my son has to suffer a, 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 a excruciating death that's going to cleanse the world of sin forever and bring my creation back to me to to a whole peace. And so Peter had to understand that later on, that he was in the wrong for trying to keep Jesus from difficult things. And sometimes, you know, um, you know, several of you are going through difficult times right now with family members. And, and, and we know people that are part of our congregation where they're not doing too hot. And it's like, you want them to be healed. You want them to just jump out of the hospital bed and be okay. We want that, right? We We long for that. But we also have to come in the, in the manner of, Lord, your will be done. Because what is it good for someone to still be alive, living on this earth, but yet their quality of life is so horrible and hurt? Only the Lord knows if that's going to be the case or not. But that's why we pray, Lord, your will be done. Because you know when you want to call your children home to give them a, a better life. We know that this is but a glimpse of uh, of the reality that we live, right? We we live an eternal life outside of this. And I'm not making light at all and saying these decisions that are having to be made medically or anything like that are easy. They're very difficult and they're very trying, right? But we have to go at it in the mindset of, Lord, what is your will? Or what do you want? We know that your hand of protection is on this individual. We know that you have the best interest of this person and the situation they're in. And so we have to go in with that kind of mentality, seeking, Lord, what is your will to be done in this situation? Again, the warnings from the Holy Spirit, not, not sprinkled with man's interpretation, but the clear 
warnings from the Holy Spirit were intended to prepare Paul for what he was going to experience, not to stop him, not to deter him. To choose to suffer means that there is something terribly wrong in a person's mind and heart if they want to suffer, right? That's not right. You should not want to pain yourself and make yourself hurt and make yourself bleed for no reason. That doesn't make sense. To choose God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing, right? No healthy saint ever chooses to suffer, but he or she does choose God's will as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. Think about the Savior Paul was willing to pay the price for. Think about the message that brought this willingness, the will of the Lord be done. Paul's companions, including Luke, came to the understanding that God's will would be done. They came to trust that even if Paul was probably right, and even if he was wrong, God would still use it. The application for us is this, church. The best place for us to be today is in God's will. Going our own way yields unfavorable results. I don't care how much monetary things you have. I don't care how much short-term fun experiences, exhilarating experiences you have in this life. If you are not living in God's will, you are going to yield unfavorable results. And it may come crashing down at the very end, but it will show itself. The Bible is clear. Be sure our sin will find us out. Again, the warnings of danger came from the Holy Spirit and were meant to prepare Paul. The request to turn back was understandable, even logical, yet it wasn't God's. It wasn't God's perspective. They recognized as much when they heard, when they hear the attributes of Paul's insistence uh, to go to Jerusalem or his, his, his willingness to go despite the danger as it was the will of God's. It's easy to do, right? A source of trouble. When we think that something's bad, we, we don't want to go that route. But, you know, unfortunately, we may have to walk through that. But, the, but the, the saving grace is, if you're a child of God, the Lord himself is walking with you through the fire. You look at, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel and his homies, right? They weren't going to bow. They were not going to praise this false god. The leader said, okay. You don't want to listen. You don't want to bow down to me. Throw him in the fire. What happened? Unbeknownst to to that king, that wicked king, he saw a fourth he saw a fourth image in that fire, and they came out unscathed. Right? That is a that is a beautiful picture. That is beautiful symbolism for us today. Because I don't think you're going to walk through a physical fire unless you're a firefighter. But you're going to walk through the fiery trials of this life. You need to know, I need to know that you're walking through it with Christ. And ultimately, really, it may be that Christ is actually the one walking through it and he's carrying you through it, (laughs) right? He's like that spiritual firefighter, you know, making sure you're saved, getting you through that burning, uh, you know, uh, inferno and making sure that you come out and you're safe. And, And this is what we see this is being in the will of God, that things are going to happen, but we we need to remember we want to be in the Lord's will. We don't want to be out of it. We often find it too easy to judge God's will for someone else. May we be those who consider the whole counsel of God 
not only in our lives, but in, in the lives of others as well. And we may we always remember that the chief end of man is to glorify God in all we do. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I, I thank you just for the opportunity to to be before you lord and and we do want to uh bend our knees before you and, and be prostrate before you in, in our hearts and in our physical bodies lord understanding that our source of strength comes from you our source of understanding comes from you anything that is good in our life that is truly valuable is of you lord and, and we have no merit we take no we take no credit for what we've been given but we want to glorify you through what you've done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, and, and what you are able to do through us as we're still here on this earth. That is the only reason we all here are still alive is because you find a purpose for us still to be used to glorify you, to spread the truth of who Jesus Christ is to a dying world around us. The fact that all of us will meet that crossroad one day where we will have to give an account one did we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior so we may experience eternal life and not eternal death? And two, what did we do with the message of your son Jesus? Father, may we take the opportunity this day to not trample upon the blood of Christ as if it's common, but may we live out our lives today with the purpose understanding we can reflect the love of Christ. We can share it with other people and we don't have to be weird about it. We don't have to be all super spiritual about it. We don't have to be cracking open the Bible and beating people over their heads with the scripture, but it's loving people, sharing true love, sharing true concern, showing care for one another, bearing one another's burden. Sometimes there's no words that need to be said. It's just we need to weep with someone who's weeping. We need to just be there and be an ear for someone who's going through something difficult. Lord, may you may you give us an extra dose of wisdom on how we are to apply these things to our lives today as we see many around us suffering and hurting. Lord, our hearts are breaking for those who are going through difficult times. Father, may you hear our prayers. May you meet us where we're at. May you answer these requests again according to your will. And may you give us peace to be okay with the answer you give. Sometimes you give an answer that's not what we want, Lord, but it's the best thing. So Father, please help us today to to, to understand that you are the one that's sovereign and you are the one who knows the best thing for all of us. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.